Thanks for choosing that song, Micah. It's been a while since I've heard that one, to be reminded of talking to Jesus with everything that we have, and it's a blessing of prayer. And if you have your Bibles with, Scott so read so well this morning from Matthew 6 there, and that's going to be the text that we're going to use today. I was praying about what to use. We will get back to 1 Corinthians here in a couple weeks. But I was thinking about what was going to happen this week with the elections and all the different things, and this seemed to be the text that God kept bringing back to my mind. And uh, this part of Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer and, and the wonderful truths that God has for us there. For an introduction to this, I thought I would just read to you the first prayer that was ever prayed in the legislature of the United States. The date was... Uh, uh, September 7th, 1774, it was the first prayer offered in Congress by a pastor by the name of D- Jacob Duchesne. And this was the first prayer that was ever leveled in our capital. Back then, it would have been back in Philadelphia and that area. But he prayed this way. He said, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers of earth and reignest with power supreme, and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. Look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor, and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. Give them wisdom in counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved bands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored and truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish among the people. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. Quite a prayer as our nation began. It would be a few years later that Ben Franklin would utter these words. As he talked to the Congress, he said, We've been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord building the house, they labor in vain, excuse me, labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe that this, by our partial local interest, our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and byword down to future ages. And then he said these words at the end of it, which aren't up on the screen. He said, I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. I don't know where Ben Franklin stood with God on a lot of different things. But our early church, our early fathers of our United States spent time in prayer. (laughs) They looked to God. When you look at that portion of Scripture there in Matthew chapter 6, it tells us how not to pray, and it tells us how to pray. And Jesus gave these very words. First of all, how not to pray. 
Don't pray like the hypocrite. <laughs> to be seen by men, we read there in verse 5. <laughs> and literally, to go into the synagogues, on the street corners, and what they would do is they would announce it to the world. Don't pray like this, in other words. Don't go and say, look at me. I'm praying. <laughs> We can pray to draw attention to ourselves or even pray basically to the ceiling. When we say words and we use things to draw attention to ourselves and our things that way, we forget to focus upon the Father. <laughs> well, then how are we to pray, Jesus said. Jesus said, Go into your innermost room and go to the Father. He's the one who knows what you're praying. He knows what is your Father who's unseen, knows the things that you're saying. And He'll reward you, it says. I was thinking of that and I thought of a story of a mom and dad who after church one Sunday, and this happened down south, they took their little daughter, uh, little little five-year-old daughter, and they took her to get her a praline. Now, how many of you know what pralines are? They're wonderful candy um, things that with, with the nuts that are there and stuff that way. It's a We up north don't know as much about those things. We know a lot about candy, but I mean, it's the, the different kinds, but... They bought her one, and she's riding in the back seat as they're driving along. And and all of a sudden, you know how little kids talk to themselves? She began to talk out loud. She and her mom and dad are in front, and, and little Cindy goes, "You know, Cindy goes, you know what? I think I will pray for my praline." And mom and dad are just starting to, you know, how you get that wonderful feeling. Your child is doing this thing. And so they're listening, and all of a sudden, Cindy starts to pray. She says, God, thank you for my mom and dad, and thank you that they bought me this wonderful praline. Lord, I pray that this praline will taste so good. Amen. And, and mom and dad, at this point, the tears are coming up front as they're driving. And then something happened that they didn't expect. Little Cindy lowered her voice and said, You're welcome, Cindy. <laughs> Cindy, in her heart of hearts, was talking with God. Truly talking with God. Now, does God care about a little child's praline? Yes, of course. But to really talk with God... <laughs> There's two imperatives in the sentence that we have there in verse 6. is to, to enter, to go into this closet and to pray. Have you and I ever really prayed? <laughs> Where the attitude of our heart is such. I, I think of the old Norwegian um, writer who wrote these words. Ole Hallisby was his name. He wrote a whole book on prayer but he wrote this about prayer. He said, prayer and helplessness are inseparable. 
Only he who is helpless can truly pray. Your helplessness is your best prayer. When we're helpless is when we truly talk with God. You know, when people ask what the definition of prayer is, sometimes they'll say to talk to God. And it is to talk to God. But I want to encourage you, it's more than that. It's talking with God. God doesn't just go, he doesn't come in some booming voice to us. But how does God talk with us today? He talks with us through his word. In fact, in our catechism, it asks this question. It says, what is prayer? And I love the definition that's given. Prayer is childlike communion of our hearts with God. And we can tell him all our needs and earnestly seek some gift from him. But did you catch that? It's childlike communion with God. The Father sees, it says here in verse 6, and he will repay To have our heart focused on him is how to pray. By the way, is it wrong to pray out loud then, since he says to go into that inner closet? No, it's not wrong to pray out loud. What's the key to prayer? It's where our heart is focused. To be seen, to be heard by men, or are we speaking to and with our Heavenly Father? That's the key throughout. How are we not to pray? He goes on and he uses those words. We're not to use utter empty words and to babble there in verses 7 and 8. Don't use the vain repetitions like the heathen do. Thinking that you will be heard. Don't use Christianese necessarily. You don't have to use the words that you expect people to hear you pray with. To just talk with God and be honest. And maybe you've been told about repetition with regards to things. And some people say we shouldn't repeat prayers. It's not a matter of whether we repeat prayers or not. Written prayers are fine. Books on prayer are fine. What's the key to all this again? It's the attitude of our hearts. Some churches have thrown out the Lord's Prayer. Because it becomes rote for people. And you know what? It can become rote, can it? It can become that we're not thinking about what we're praying. But it's no reason to throw it out. (laughs) That's part of the reason we train our children what the Lord's Prayer is all about, the petitions that are there, so that you know what you're praying for. Because Jesus said, pray like this. (laughs) And how are we to pray? It says there in verse 8, you're to pray knowing that the Father knows what you need even before you ask. (laughs) Boy, if you come into prayer knowing that God knows already, wow. Now, in my mind, I had to ask the question then, why do we even pray? (laughs) If God knows everything already, why should we pray? Well, I can tell you this. If your parents know everything about what you're doing, young people, they still want to hear it from you. God wants to have a relationship with you and me. 
God wants us to pray. He asks us to pray. It, it sometimes it's just as much for us so that we can have communion with the one true God who created us. The one that ever, always was, always is, and always will be. He's real. And, and have you ever noticed with mankind in general, even those who don't believe in too much of things, there is a desire somehow to, to pray and to worship something, even if it's ourselves. It, it's written on the hearts of people. Eternity is written there. The law of God is written there. And there's that desire that's there. And of course, that leads us in the text to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer here. And by the way, there's a lot of sermons here. Are you guys ready to stay here till midnight? We could go for a long time. And there's a half a year of confirmation right here. It would take a while. We could go through all of these things. But as you start out that prayer, do you notice it starts out with our Father? Just think of the, the awe there. To, to, it not only recognizes the intimacy that we have with God, our Father. It reminds me of the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> there is that right away that we see God as our Father. It speaks of the awe that we should have as we come to him in prayer. To see that he's sovereign. To the early Jewish Christians, having a proper awe of God was probably easier than understanding the intimacy part. <laughs> Unfortunately, in our day, the pendulum swings the other way, and sometimes we almost talk flippantly with God, although God hears us. <laughs> People will use terms like, I'm going to talk to the man upstairs, <laughs> or to the answer man I'm going to go to. And God is the answer man. But he's more than a man. He's God. And the Bible keeps that tension between intimacy and awe. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 4.16. He said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. The fact is we can come to the throne and it should fill us with awe. Because it's a throne of grace. It's approachable. We can come to the sovereign almighty God of the universe because he allows us because of Jesus Christ. He allows us to approach him in prayer and address him as father. Hallowed be thy name. <laughs> to live out our lives to a holy God. To hallow His name. To live that out. To let His kingdom come, we pray for. To come into our hearts here on earth. The kingdom of grace. We pray that He would come also to take us home as well. You ever, what's the, well... We have different prayers. Sometimes we pray at our meals, but there's a prayer that I learned growing up. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. And may this food to us be blessed. And there's different ways to do the different things. But you ever think about that? Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. You're praying for Jesus to come and eat with you, to be with you. 
There are some families I've learned about since that leave one chair open at the table to just be a reminder when they make that prayer. Then we pray, give us this day our daily bread, recognizing God can meet our needs if we let him. And to do our work as though we're working unto him and to trust that he can do it. And then that prayer, forgive us so that we can forgive. So we can forgive others. You know, Abraham Lincoln, back in 1863, called for a day of national prayer and fasting. He put it down on paper like this. He says, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior, some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency, and forgiveness. Yes, the President of the United States made that proclamation. God wants us to pray. And that leads us to the last part. By the way, there's to deliver us from evil. It's to set us free from sin. But if we get to verses 12 through 15, as we take those verses, I want to put it in this way. Forgiveness and freedom. To forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those words. Forgiveness is a key part to all of this. As I think about forgiveness, and I think about how sometimes we're so caught up in our sin, and it chains us. I'm reminded of the story that was told Uh, about a little boy that was visiting his grandparents. And maybe you've heard this story before. He's given his first slingshot. He practices in the woods, but he can never hit a target. You guys ever, when you get your first slingshot, I don't know, I think I maybe hit one thing with a slingshot in my life. As he came back to Grandma's backyard, though, he spied Grandma's pet duck. Oh, yeah, oh, no is right. On an impulse, he took aim, and he let fly, and the stone hit the duck right in the head. (laughs) Killed him, right on the spot. And he panicked. (laughs) He he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and to see back at the house, he could see his sister watching through the window as he was doing it. Sally had seen it all. But she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, no. Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. (laughs) Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. 
So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked the kids if they wanted to go fishing, and Grandma said, I'm sorry, sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. And again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing, and after several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's chores, he finally couldn't stand it. He, can, he went to his grandma and he confessed that he had killed the duck. And she said to him, she said, I know, Johnny. She gave him a big hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I just wondered how long you'd let Sally make a slave of you. That's what sin does, doesn't it? Unforgiveness. Not willing to ask for forgiveness. The key phrase in the scripture today is, if you forgive. Verses 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That if you forgive is a third class condition. It means that it's a possibility that you could forgive. Have you? Will you? There's a lot of examples, and I have chosen a few just to share with you to close off the service a bit today with some of these and to note them in that way. The the first one I'd just like to share with you um, comes from Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb. Do you know how long it would take them to make a light bulb back in those first days when they were first trying out? Edison tried many different things, but when they finally got it figured out, it would take about 24 hours of a bunch of men working on this thing to get a light bulb made. Um, the story goes that when Edison finished was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy helper who nervously carried it up the stairs, step by step, cautiously watching his hands, obviously frightened that he, he did not want to drop that light bulb, but you guess probably since I'm telling the story, you can guess what happened. He dropped the light bulb at the top of the stairs and it broke. It took the entire team of men another 24 hours to make another light bulb. Finally, tired and ready for a break, Edison was ready to have his bulb carried up the stairs. Guess who he gave it to? That same young Boy, that's forgiveness. In a dream, Martin Luther found himself being attacked by Satan. The devil unrolled a long scroll containing a list of Luther's sins, and he held it before Luther. And on reaching the end of the scroll, Luther asked the devil, Is that all? No, came the reply, and a second scroll was thrust in front of Luther. Then after the second came a third, and by now the devil had no more. And Luther exclaimed in his dream, he said, You've forgotten something, devil. Quickly write on each of those sins. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sins. <laughs> General Robert E. Lee 
was once visiting an elderly lady after the war in Kentucky. And the lady took him to the remains of an old tree. And she bitterly cried that the limbs of that tree had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word that would condemn the North and at least sympathize with her loss. And after a brief moment, you know what Robert E. Lee said? He said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than to allow them to remain and let bitterness take root and poison you for the rest of your life. Vernon Grounds came across an illustration years ago from the book Miracle on the River Kwai. The Scottish soldiers were forced by the Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad and the Scottish prisoners had degenerated to barbarous behavior in the way they were acting. And one afternoon something happened. A shovel was missing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. And when nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got his gun and he threatened to kill them all right on the spot. It was obvious the officer meant what he said. And finally, one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun and he picked up a shovel and he beat the man to death. When it was over, the survivors picked up the bloody corpse and carried it with them to the second tool tool check. This time, no shovel was missing. Indeed, there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. And the word spread like wildfire through the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save others. The incident had a profound effect and the men began to treat each other like brothers. When the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, these Scottish men were human skeletons at this point. They lined up in front of their captors and instead of attacking attacking their captors, You know what they insisted? They said, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Sacrificial love has a transforming power. I don't know where you are at with things. But if you don't forgive those who have done things to you, It'll eat you alive. Forgiveness, true forgiveness brings freedom. Peter Marshall prayed for that in Congress years ago in the 50s. He prayed, may we think of freedom not as the right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to do what is right. To forgive. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln said it in the Gettysburg Address. He said, we need a new birth of freedom. And it begins with prayer. It begins with forgiveness. 
Jack Reese of Panama City, Florida, recounts his experience of helping a friend who lived on the farm. They were working on a barbed wire fence which surrounded a nice lush green pasture. And as Reese worked alongside his friend, he caught attention to the fact that everywhere there was barbed wire, there was hair hanging from the barbed wire. And he asked the friend, he said, why, why is it like that? <laughs> it's quite a strange sight. This is a wide area that's fenced in. Why is there hair from the cattle on each of the things? <laughs> and, and his friend said, he, he said, no matter how wide an area of fence you have covered, guess where the cattle want to graze? They want to graze on the other side of the fence. <laughs> no matter how green the grass is, They'll stick their heads through the fence and all these different things. And, and concerning that experience, you know what, Reese made the following observation. He said, even animals want to be free. Even animals want to be free. If you go to Washington, D.C., you can look at all the monuments. And one monument is the Korean War Memorial. And it says it very truthfully there. It says, freedom is not Free. Our paycheck for our sin has been paid as well, hasn't it? It's been paid in Jesus Christ and His blood. He's paid for our liberty. I think of the man in John eight thirty six. It says, "If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed." I think of the man who one time was walking along and he saw a crowd gathering and he went over and he saw what they were doing. It was a skunk sitting there with a Coke can over its head. Nobody dared get close. So he, he went up to it and he called the skunk over to him and he pulled the Coke can off of the skunk. And the skunk took off right away. <laughs> he didn't get sprayed or anything. But think about that for that thing. He said, in my mind, that was the analogy of what God has done for us. He has set us free by offering us forgiveness. The writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, was a man who caught that because in his life he had once been a slave trader. He'd been caught in that whole thing and it was where he came to Christ. When he came to Christ, he knew what it was to be free in the grace of God. I'd like to close today, before we do communion, doing this a little bit different <laughs> with things. And I know I skipped some slides, but you can go ahead, Robbie, a few slides. And uh, uh, if you want to start the music back there um, for the song, I'll, I'll do my best here to sing this song as a song that will lead us into communion um, today. And I think you guys know the song as it's sung. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! The hour I first believed, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, He has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love and amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word. My hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, He has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone; I've been set free. God, my Savior, He has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love and amazing grace. The earth shall soon. Dissolve like snow. The sun forbears to shine, but God, who called me here below, shall be forever mine. He shall be forever. Lord, you are forever mine. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace. And help us to truly pray today. To truly pray those words that you said to pray. You said to pray like this. Join me if you would. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.